0: Well, good morning, Cedar Holmes. Good to see you. Debbie and I had a great time with a week off last week, but we're glad to be back. And uh, if you've got a Bible with you, uh, please turn to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 16 today. Or if you don't have a Bible or would rather look up on the screen behind me, feel free to do that. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. And I thought... It would be fun to read that together. I don't know if my version is exactly like the one behind me, but probably close enough. So um, let's begin at verse 14 and read through 16, Hebrews chapter 4. Together? Therefore, since we have. Are you with me? Is, is, it, is it up there? Okay, I just didn't hear anything. Let's try it again. Together. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us. In our time of need, was that different than the one I was reading? No. Nope. Okay. Yes and no. So, you know, one of the greatest blessings um, for every Christian is that no matter how intense the temptations that they face, no matter how stretched or stressed we can get, no matter how tested. We are, no matter how alone we feel, no matter how weak or powerless or hurting or confused we are, no matter how disappointed or overwhelmed or frustrated or opposed or betrayed or maligned or manipulated or afraid we may feel, we have one to whom we can go to at any time who instantly hears our prayers completely understands how we feel and is deeply sympathetic to our trials and is willing to offer us supernatural comfort and assistance to help us through our circumstances. And that person's name is Jesus Christ. Amen? We have that. Every Christian has that. You know, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean life can't get tough. It can get tough. It can get real tough. Some of you brought into this church today some really tough stuff. If we were to go around from this all the way around to the other side, I would wager that almost everybody is dealing with something that's difficult in their lives. And we need help. You might be that person that's struggling with some of those things that I just mentioned, and you need help. If you don't now, you will eventually, right? That's life. The good news is that as Christians, we have the privilege to get divine help and along with that, sympathy from God. Can you, can you imagine that? We can get sympathy and help from Almighty God that we just sang about. Now, two weeks ago, just to review a little bit, um, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 14, we talked about the need for perseverance in the Christian's life. Because perseverance, according to the Bible, believe it or not, is the main proof that a conversion is genuine. Now, there are other things. Conviction for sin, a love for His Word, wanting to be with other, God's people. Um, there's a spiritual fruit. There's a lot of proofs that we are truly born again. But according to the Bible, in my opinion... The greatest proof that we are believers is that we persevere to the very end, whether it's the end of our life or Christ returns first. That is the clearest proof that we are genuine believers. It's Put it like this. It's not how you start, it's how you what? It's how you finish. People start out with a bang and all kinds of things, but if they don't finish, then it's not really real. And it's true also in the Christian life. It's not whether we can lose our salvation. We can't. But the question is, did we ever have it to begin with, and are we persevering in our walk with Jesus to the very end? And that's a major theme in the book of Hebrews. And um, in chapter 3 and 4, and we're going to have many more of these warnings as we go through the book of Hebrews, um, we are given warnings. Warnings that... uh, are given to some weakening, wobbling, weary, worn-out, professing Christians. You know? It's, the, the, the brochure is better than the actual experience is what's happening here. And they didn't know that they were going to get hammered like they did by their former Jews, for Jewish friends, and by a secular society. And they're starting to weaken, and some of them are turning back to their old way of life. And the writer to the Hebrews is saying, Why would you want to do that? Don't do that. Don't give up on Jesus and prove yourself never to have been saved in the first place. And in chapter 4, verse 1, we're given this warning to us and to them Be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. What's the it? The rest of God, R E S T, the rest of God, which is heaven. Make sure, be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it, to come up short by not persevering. Okay? Don't just hear the gospel with your head, receive it into your heart. Don't uh, turn away from Christ with a lack of repentance and an attitude of disobedience and go back to your former way of life because you will incur eternal judgment from God if you do that. Stick with Christ. Couple your intellectual faith with believing faith. Repent of sin and turn to God. Now, today we come to a wholly different angle on this because the issue here is perseverance, but now we're coming at it from a whole different direction, um, a whole different reason for, for and proof of perseverance in our relationship with Christ as a proof of our salvation, and it's this. It's the incredible promise of, of and seeking of continual help, sympathy, and encouragement from Jesus Christ through life's trials. That is a sign that you are a Christian, when you or I encounter all of the stuff that we can encounter in this life, and we go to Jesus and we say, Lord, help me, that's a sign that we have a relationship with him, right? It's a sign that we're persevering, that we can receive from Christ our high priest along the way as we go through life, sympathy and strength through our intense trials and temptations. Martin Luther put it this way, the great reformer. He says... Quote, after terrifying us, the writer now comforts us. After pouring wine into our wound, he now pours in oil. Why? Because Jesus is our helpful high priest, our sympathetic high priest. That's the the message, the title of the message today, Jesus Christ, our helpful high priest. You, as a Christian, if you know Jesus, have a sympathetic high priest. It's fun just to say that for me. You have God, but you have a sympathetic high priest. Okay, and again, the writer's point is that why go back to a religious system and to an earthly high priest or whatever your past life was that could offer you so little in comparison to having the almighty God be your sympathetic high priest? Why would you go back? Keep persevering. Don't give up. Avail yourself of Jesus' heavenly help and sympathy along life's way. Now, the Old Testament high priest, mentioned here in chapter 4, 14 through 16, ministered only once a year, as we'll find out here in a second. But as a believer, you can have the great high priest minister to you not just once a year, but once every second if you need him. Okay? Okay? Hourly, daily, moment by moment, you can get sympathy and strength from Jesus, your great high priest. Why would you turn away from that? That's the whole logic of the writer. Keep persevering, he says. Well, the title of of the message again is Jesus Christ, our helpful high priest. And we need three truths that I think come out of this general passage to really understand this for ourselves. And so we're going to look at those three truths. First, we need to go to the past background of our helpful high, Jesus Christ, our helpful high priest. Jesus Christ was not the first high priest. He was the first great high priest, but he was not the first high priest. Okay, the high priest was very well known in Jewish culture. Aaron being the first one, uh, he was uh, the precursor to our eternal high priest, Jesus. But the priests in ancient Israel served a really important function because once a year they would go into the whole, what's what was called the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament tabernacle or temple depending on the era and they would make atonement for the people or on behalf of the people once a year on the holiday known as what? Yom Kippur. And... Uh, Um, All the sins of the people were brought symbolically by the high priest into the Holy of Holies, and he would take the blood that was taken from a sacrifice and put it on the mercy seat, and in that one uh, act, the sum total of all the sins of the Israelites was taken care of. No other human instrument was used. It always had to be the high priest. If you really want the details, and I'm not going to read them to you because of time, but... Um, go to the book of Leviticus chapter 16. That will give you all you want to know and more about the Old Testament high priest. Um, Now, this was a dangerous job. You want to have your life insurance up to date on this job. okay? If I was the high priest, I would definitely update or renew my life insurance. Because if you were properly cleansed and sacrificed for and ready to go into that holy of holies, into the presence of God, and make atonement for this, or offer an atoning, uh, the, atoning blood on the mercy seat for the Israelites, guess what would happen? You'd die. In fact, that was such a real thing that they would take that hem of the robe of the Old Testament high priest and sew bells into them. So they knew he was still alive while he was ministering. They also tied a rope around his ankle. So guess what? If he didn't cut the mustard and the bell stopped ringing and they hauled him out with that rope because they weren't going in, this is, this is a high, 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 holy calling. And he'd go through three areas. He'd go through the outer court and then the holy place and then into the very holy of holies and take the blood and uh, sprinkle it on the mercy seat and make uh, a symbolic atonement for the entire nation of Israel. Year after year, once a year, every year, century after century after century, the high priest would go in and, um, and make atonement for the people. Now, that's the background. But then we come to the second part here, and that's that... Uh, the, of the present greatness of Jesus Christ, our helpful high priest. And now you're going to see the, the, the contrast here. So go, go back to verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is ju- has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Now, obviously, just by reading that in a very quick manner, you can see the difference between our great high priest Jesus and the Old Testament high priest, right? You can see the difference. Let's look at the difference. Let's look at the present greatness of Jesus Christ, our helpful high priest. And, you know, never skip small words. I'm a small word guy. Every little preposition, every little, you know, One of those English sounding words that there are, I look at. And here it says, uh, therefore, since who? We. I love that stuff. Who, as a Christian, does not have a great high priest named Jesus Christ? Anybody? Any Christian does not have this? We all have a great high priest. There's no first and second class Christians, we all have him. From the youngest to the oldest that knows Jesus. From the worst checkered background to someone who was raised in a Christian home and really sin is the same before God. I'm not trying to make division here. We have, all of us have, a great high priest. True of every Christian, not a special select few. And then it says we have a great high priest. Now the high priest was important in the Jewish community but only Jesus was the great high priest. And I'm going to qualify that by saying this. Jesus Christ as the great high priest was infinitely greater than any mortal person, priest, pastor, preacher, prophet, anywhere ever on planet Earth. He is the great high priest because he's Jesus, the Son of God. We'll get to that in a minute. And it says here in verse 14, who has gone through the what? Heavens. Heavens. Jesus went through the heavens. Did you notice the heavens is in the plural? It doesn't say he went to heaven. It said he went through the heavens. If you want to, you can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 1-4, through 4, and, and the Apostle Paul confirms this. He says, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I knew a man, he's talking about himself, I knew a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was the third heaven, and the, he goes on and on. See, there was different heavens, you say, in the Jewish culture. Okay, there was the, right above the earth, then into outer space, and then into the very presence of God in heaven. And Jesus, after making a one-time, total, final, substitutionary atonement for our sins by dying on the cross and after laying in the tomb for three days without any corruption of his body any um, yeah, you know, degradation or, or uh, deterioration of his body then he rose bodily from the grave and then he ascended to where the Fa- God the Father himself was. And that's the holiest of the holiest of the holiest of holies. Jesus went into. He didn't repeat that process once a year because he didn't have to. Because the sacrifice on the cross for our sins was perfectly sufficient for all time. I, I like talking about that. That's what we're going to do in the book of Hebrews over and over again. I'm really excited about it. But anyway, just to confirm that, look at up at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, where it says, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves like the, um, like the Jewish high priest did on Yom Kippur. Lost my marker there. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves. Here, here's the good. But he entered the most holy place right into the presence of the Father once for all by his own blood having obtained what kind of redemption? Eternal redemption. Do you know? This is good news, by the way. That be, your sin is eternally taken care of. Isn't that a relief? Not just past, but today's and then until you go be with the Lord. That's how powerful Christ's blood was. He's our great high priest. Didn't have to come back every year. And rather than entering the Holy of Holies in the temple, he went into heaven, into the very presence of God, unlike any mere high priest. And then he sat down, and there was no place to sit down in the earthly temple, Holy of Holies. But Jesus sat down. It's done. He sat down. I, I, I was talking about that in the second sermon in the series about He sat down. Anybody remember that? All of you. Awesome. All right. And um, I, just, I, could, I could have said that the whole sermon. He sat down. 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 He sat down in spite of our sins in the past. He sat down in spite of our sin today. He sat down in spite of our sins in the future. He sat down. It's done, baby. And we got to remember that when we stumble and fall, don't we? Because who likes to chirp in our ear about what lousy we Christians we are? Satan. But he sat down. Anyway, it continues to describe... Jesus here, okay, as our great high priest. Okay, as we as we look at um, as we look at how great he is. Okay, um, he's Jesus, the Son of God. Verse fourteen. Now that's the perfect combination of deity and humanity. Jesus is a word that describes, or uh, excuse me, uh, yeah, Jesus is the description of our Savior's humanity. God was incarnated into human flesh spontaneously generated by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a 16-ish Jewish young woman named Mary, fully human, not separated from human life or its limitations and concerns. He never lost his deity, but he got connected with, his, with hum, our humanity. But he was also, it says here, the Son of God. And this was a title of Deity. And both of these made Jesus fully effective as our great high priest, as you will now see here as, as we go into the next part. One person with two natures, human and divine. Now, go back to this passage or read it on the uh, thing. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Here it is. We're going to camp on this, this puppy right now. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Wow, we have God who sympathizes with us. Sympathize. And it says he's not unable, and he's kind of giving a jab towards the human priest. He's not like those guys who are unable to sympathize with us in so many ways. He's Jesus, and he can sympathize with us in everything. Okay, and this was a weird concept to people then. If you were a Greek and maybe uh, part of the Epicureans or the Stoics, their view of God was an apathetic, emotionless kind of God, distant at best. And if you were a Jew, yes, there are parts in the Old Testament that show God's love and tenderness for us, of course, But in general, their concept of God really wasn't of him experiencing any kind of deep feelings of pain or weakness or temptation. But because of his humanity, Jesus had a perfect understanding to the maximum of every pain, trouble, fear, trial, hurt, danger, grief, stress, temptation, rejection, loneliness, separation, pain, anxiety that we are, have, or ever will go through. He was mocked, he was made fun of, ridiculed, mistrusted, maligned, betrayed. He knows how it feels when that happens to you or to me. Only Jesus, the God-man, can perfectly say, I know how you feel. Don't you love it when people say that, but they don't know it? Man, I'm having a really, really tough situation here, and you explain the situation, they go, I know how you feel. Kind of a cliche sometimes. Sometimes it's true, but... Sometimes it's just a cliche. But for the Christian, we have a loving, sympathetic God-man we can call on at any time throughout life and circumstances who uh, can say, I absolutely to the nth degree know how you feel. Did anybody ever do, have you ever done this or have someone do do this to you? You've described a difficult situation or you're kind of whining a little bit or... I don't know, playing the victim, and they go, you could find sympathy in the dictionary under S. Has anybody ever had somebody say that to them? Really? You're all shocked. I say that to people all the time. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't do that. I don't. I really don't. Once in a while to my kids, you know, when they were whining or something. But, or the, the world's smallest violin. Do you ever, ever do that to you? <laughs> yeah. Or do you, have you done that to somebody else? Let's see all the hands of people that do these things. No, don't do that. Not Jesus. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, oh, you know where you can find sympathy? In the dictionary, under S. Yeah, by golly. See this? It's the world's smallest violin. Not the Lord. Cast all your cares upon him. He cares for you. Let's get more specific. This is a lot of fun. Okay, you're going to have fun for about the next half hour. I guarantee it. You really will. More specifically here, Jesus can fully sympathize with our "what?" our weaknesses. He understands our deepest weaknesses, our deepest feelings. His involvement with our feelings is total and guaranteed. He, he's not out there. He's, he understands. The, I don't care what you're going through today or tomorrow. He understands. Totally. The word weakness here means feeble or feebleness or infirmity or limitations. And uh, he understands what it's like to be on the tough battleground of humanity. He really does. Okay? And there are all kinds of weaknesses uh, that we feel. And Jesus feels these to the nth degree. Weaknesses that are mental or emotional. Fear, anxiety physical weaknesses, moral weaknesses. You feel like every temptation that has ever happened is being poured out on you that day. Jesus knows what that feels like. A broken or torn or ended relationship, Jesus understands those. Spiritually, desert times of loneliness or despair or depression or demonic warfare, spiritual warfare, he gets it. He gets it. And he knew it all to the maximum. I'm going to get into that in detail here. And he's willing and able to to listen to us with absolute sympathy. And he wants us to go to him, as we'll see in a few minutes, because it's proof that we're one of his children. And if people go through stuff and they don't even give a nod in the direction of Jesus, their conversion has to be seriously doubted. Now, you may, if, I don't know if you're thinking this, but you may be thinking this. Wait a minute. This is rigged. He's God. He can't sin. What are you talking about? Jesus is God. How can he relate to me? He can't sin. He's sinless. But look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. But again, you might say, but but, 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 but but he's God. He can't fall in the first place. But think about this. Being God, you're gonna like this. Being God, Jesus faced the full fury and intensity of temptation. You and I fold like a cheap wallet at about the five or six-yard line. <laughs> right? We get to the four, five, six-yard line. Oh, I've had it, I'm no. I'm done because we're mortal, fallible people. We have a principle of sin still remaining in our flesh that will harass us till we get to be with the Lord. But Jesus is perfect. And so he feels, listen you guys, the full intensity of every temptation and weakness because he never gave in. Is that making sense? No? Let me continue on. How do I put this? Let me put it this way. This is why we should come to Jesus when we're suffering and struggling. His, listen, His divinity made His trials and temptations immeasurably harder than ours, so He can relate and sympathize with us on our deepest level, which is far shorter than His was. I mean, this is incredible stuff. John MacArthur says, Jesus never sinned, but he understands sin better than any man. He has seen it more clearly and fought it more diligently than any of us could ever be able to do. Sinlessness alone can properly estimate sin. Jesus Christ did not sin. He could not sin. He had no capacity to sin. And his temptations were all the more terrible because he could not or would not fall and endured them to the extreme. His sinlessness increased his sensitivity to sin. If you want to talk to someone who knows what sin is about, temptation is about, weakness is about, talk to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ knows sin and he knows and understands our weakness whatever satan brings out our way there is victory in Jesus Christ he understands he has been there he's been to the place where full temptation has had its way with him but he didn't sin jesus has an unequaled capacity for sympathy. An unequal unequaled capacity for sympathy because he was tested, tried, tempted, and anything else you want to put in there, as much as any person could ever be, but without sin. And that's why he can give us his sympathy because he knows to the nth degree how we're feeling. He has absolute sympathy. You know, this has given me. Well, I just want to say this one other thing here. The most, this, I'm not original with me. The most sensitive man who ever lived feels with us. The most sensitive man who ever lived, Jesus Christ, feels with us. And this has given me a renewed appreciation for Jesus. And the Father. And for what he went through for me. Um, he went through the fullest extent of all trials, temptations, tests, struggles, rejection, depression. I, I could the list is, is long. He went through the fullest extent of that for me and for you. So he knows. So no matter what you're going through, he can say, I I, I know how you feel. That's called a helpful high priest. And I'll give you an example of this, just from my own life. It just happened yesterday, by the way. So most of you know I have back issues. And uh, sometimes it gets kind of intense. And yesterday was one of those days, and I, I got out of bed, and I, I, I went, and I sat in a chair in the living room to have my quiet time, and it was And it was really chirping. Anybody have a back that chirps on them? No? Well, I wish you did so you could see how I feel. But uh, no, no, I don't. I don't. I don't. I do not. would not want you to go through what I go through. But the Holy Spirit just kind of talked to me. And he said, remember what you're preaching on Sunday? Okay, your back hurts. It's part of my overall plan for you. There's reasons for pain. Pain is is... God, the C.S. Lewis said God whispers to us in our pleasures, pleasures and shouts to us in our pain. I think that's pretty good. But um, I want you to think about my son Jesus. And I started thinking about, well, what kind of back pain did he have? And you know what? It was the most comforting thing. It, seriously. I can't explain it to you, but just to know that God loves me so much that he went through an infinite amount of pain. And I'm not going to get into the, 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 you know, the morbid details of the beatings and the floggings and the cross and all you guys, but mine is not anything compared to his. And he's God, and that's how much he loves us. And I just felt better. I felt empowered, encouraged, I I would have never guessed that that would do that for me. That was not an avenue that I ever even thought about pursuing. It was wonderful. Never sinned, but understands our temptations and our pain and our difficulties. You have that kind of Savior. Can I get an amen? I mean, that is just like, wow, God, I think how much the Father cared about us to let His Son go through that for us. Holy mackerel. I mean, it's just stunning when you think about what he let his son go through for us, how, how much he loves us. And when Jesus did that for us, and we can, we can take advantage of that anytime, his sympathy. And yet he never sinned. Why? Because he had a divine nature too. And the divine nature was the backstop for his human nature. And so we're looking, we've looked at the past background of Jesus Christ, our helpful high priest. We've seen the present greatness of Jesus Christ, our helpful high priest. Let's finish, the third point here, we'll finish with this. Let's look at our personal responsibility toward Jesus Christ, our helpful high priest. He's done all this. Well, what's our, What are we responsible to do? Let's read verse 14 and verse 16. Um, well, I'll just read the second part of verse 14. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Let us hold firmly to the, faith, uh, to, to the faith we profess. And then down to verse 16. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And you know, it doesn't have to be a sore back. It can be loneliness, depression. Rejection, uh, 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 being gossiped about, being betrayed. It can be anything Jesus has felt it all to the nth degree. You know, I don't want to limit the list here. It's unlimited. But anyway, what's our responsibility? Some would call these the lettuce verses. Verses 14 and 16. I like that. We're going to look at two lettuce verses today because they're going to tell us the why and the how we ought to persevere in our commitment to Jesus Christ instead of turning back and proving our conversion to be suspect in the first place like some of these apparent Jewish believers were doing under pressure and persecution. Rather, in order to demonstrate that our profession and confession of Christ, our great high priest, is a true one, it's a true commitment to Christ, and that we can gain the help we need on a constant basis from our great high priest Jesus for all that we face in life, we are given the proper instructions to follow here. Number one, verse 14, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Hold fast. With a sympathetic high priest like Jesus who is willing to empathize with us and take us through difficult times, why would we allow ourselves to flame out and not persevere proving our unbelief. Let's commit permanently. Let's hold fast to this wonderful, sympathetic Savior. I think sometimes when bad stuff happens to people, that's when they plan their exit strategy. There should be no exit strategy for the believer because we have a sympathetic high priest. It means don't be a fair-weather believer who will deny the Lord when it becomes costly to believe or difficulties come along, but hold firmly. Persevere to the end. And then the second Lettuce verse is in 16. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know, most ancient rulers were totally unapproachable. If you read the book of Esther, when Esther was going to approach King Ahasuerus, she was scared spitless. Because if you went in there, first of all, you had to smile. They, they didn't want any downer coming into their courtroom. And if he had held a scepter, and if he didn't extend that scepter out to you, you, were, uh, you, were, um, you weren't alive anymore. I'll just put it that way. Kill you. You'd be killed. You'd be decapitated. Okay? And the, the opposite here is true. God says, come on in. Come on. I want you to I, I, come to me. I will sympathize with you, and through that sympathy, I will empower you through what you're going through. You can come anytime. And there are three things we're shown here an action, an attitude, and His aid. Let's go through them quickly. The action is on our part is let us approach the throne of grace, prayer. In other words, when you're on the battlefield of life, you need to use your spiritual walkie talkie with God, and that's prayer. Approach the throne of grace, not yearly like the high priest in the Old Testament, but every moment that you need to. Prayer. Prayer connects you to the sympathy of Christ, okay? And the empathy of Christ. Come to the throne that's called a gracious throne. And the writer, it's all, it's, it's all over the place. Why would you even consider going back to a guy that did it once a year and didn't even know what you feel? When you have someone who, who knows to the fullest extent how you feel. And then there's the attitude. With confidence, it says in verse 16. Frank, honest, open, bold, transparent, trusting prayer. Now Satan will oppose you here. He'll want to tell you, you know, you don't belong here. Christians don't have problems. He wants to rob and blind us to our privilege of coming with confidence before God. The the atonement's already done. He sat down. We can go in. It's already done. And then we see the aid here, the action, the attitude, and then the aid. So what? So that we may receive mercy. Mercy. And again, there's that we there, another we. This is for all of us, available to all Christians, His mercy. What is that? God's tender, healing kindness for our temptations, sins, or misery. Isn't it interesting, my brothers and sisters in Christ, that some of you are undergoing temptation right now. All, all of us really are in some way or shape or form, but some really intense. Isn't it interesting that because Jesus went through that temptation that you're going through and I'm going through to the fullest extent, that by you coming to God, With confidence, you'll have you'll be given mercy and the freedom from that temptation. It's pretty cool. Why would you want to live any other way? And then find God's grace or His strength, power, and guidance to help you in your time of need. The time you need it, He'll give it. Sympathy, empathy, power, enablement. I mean, great promise. We're not scolded for having a need. Uh, God doesn't say, you know, that's too small. Never. And it says here we'll get help in our time of need. Help. You know, that's a nautical term, and it's only used one other time in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 27, verse 17. And it describes the cables that the sailors wrapped around the hull of Paul's ship during the storm so that it wouldn't break apart. So, when when you're falling apart, God wants to wrap a cable around you. He wants you to get your walkie talkie, start praying, come with confidence, trust Him to receive mercy. Trust that out of His sympathy and empathy because He went through the same thing to the fullest extent that He will give you mercy, power, strength, and guidance to get through it. That's how I want to live. When I try hard, it doesn't work out. (laughs) We have a sympathetic high priest that will give us all that mercy and grace we need to not fall apart. Well, let's wrap it up with a little story here. I love this story. Never read it before this week, but it talks about sympathy. With someone who sympathizes with our problems and weaknesses and temptations. Um, It's about a little boy who noticed the sign, Puppies for Sale. And he asked, How much do you want for the puppies, mister? $25, son. The boy's face dropped. Well, sir, could I see them anyway? The man whistled, and the mother dog came around the corner and followed by four cute puppies, wagging their tails and yipping happily. Then, lagging behind, another puppy came around the corner, dragging one hind leg. What's the matter with that one, sir, the boy asked. Well, son, that puppy is crippled. The vet took an x-ray and found that it doesn't have a hip socket. It'll never be right. The man was surprised when the boy said, well, that's the one I want. Could I pay you a little each week? And the owner replied, but son, you don't seem to understand. That pup will never be able to run or even walk right. He's going to be a cripple forever. Why would you want that pup? pup like that. The boy reached down and pulled up his pant leg, revealing a brace where a leg used to be. I don't walk too good either. I'm actually choking up at this story. Uh, And I've read it like 10 times. I don't walk too good either. Looking down at the puppy, the boy continued, that puppy's going to need a lot of love and understanding. It's not easy being crippled. The man said, you can have that puppy for free. I know you'll take good care of him. Now that's a limited illustration of our Savior's sympathy for our condition. But is it so far from the truth? Whose wounds yet visible above in beauty glorified, crown him with many crowns? He still has the scars? Is that really totally out of the realm of reality? Since Jesus became a man and he suffered all that we experience to the fullest extent because he was sinless, he can sympathize with what you're going through today. He demonstrated his compassion many times during his earthly ministry, but his humanity was not diminished in any way when he ascended to heaven. We have a completely sympathetic high priest at the right hand of God. And the whole point of this why would anybody go to anything else? Why would they? Persevere and show your perseverance by taking every need you have to an infinitely sympathetic Savior, Jesus Christ. And as a Christian, I just want to challenge you. What need today does your sympathetic high priest want you to bring before him? What one or two or ten? Ten. Identify that to him. Go and approach the throne of grace. All right? Do it with confidence. Shall not he who gave up his son for us all, will he not along with him freely give us all things? Romans tells us. Identify it to him as often as you need to. It might be financial this morning. It might be a, a spiritual, emotional, moral It might be a relationship that you're having difficulty with. Jesus had separation anxiety, for sure. He knows what it's like. Whatever it is, identify it to him as often as you need to, and let him minister his mercy and grace to you. He will, and it'll be a sign that you're persevering in Christ. And if if you're not a Christian here this morning, I I, I don't know, but... (laughs) I don't know if there's any more convincing proof that God loves you than these three verses. I was expecting a little bit more of a response at that point, but amen? I mean, that that he would come to this earth in human flesh and experience all that you've experienced and offer his sympathy, eternal life, and his sympathy and empathy and compassion to you on a moment-by-moment basis, Where are you going to get that? At the tavern. Where are you going to get that? Anywhere else. God wants to be your source of mercy, strength, and grace in this life. But you need to repent of your sins, change your mind about them, and turn to God. You need to turn to Christ and ask for the forgiveness of your sins. And receive him into your heart as your Lord and as your Savior. And if you do that, you'll have eternal sympathy and empathy and fellowship with God. Don't turn that opportunity away. Father God, thank you for the incredible empowerment and enablement we have by going to your Son Jesus, who has felt to the fullest degree everything every problem, every stress, every difficulty, every temptation that we have, are, or ever will feel. Thank you that he rushes to our aid to this when we need him. Help my brothers and sisters in Christ here to take the opportunity to approach your throne of grace, not your throne of condemnation, but your throne of grace, to acquire this on a daily basis. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great day. Enjoy this last day of sunshine till July. And uh, God bless you.